0: Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Friday, June 28th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The Federal Reserve has singled out Credit Suisse for weaknesses in its capital plans. Designer Johnny Ive will leave Apple at the end of this year. Nike reports higher sales and profit margins in its latest quarter. And in an exclusive interview with the FT, Russian President Vladimir Putin says liberalism has become obsolete. Plus, the FT's U.S. managing editor, Peter Spiegel, previews what's to come at the G20 summit in Japan. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. The Federal Reserve has singled out Credit Suisse in its annual stress tests. The Fed demanded that the bank fix, quote, weaknesses in its capital plans. The central bank said that Credit Suisse must address the concerns before it's allowed to increase payments to its parent in Switzerland. Credit Suisse was the best capitalized bank in the Fed's stress test, but officials said they were not happy with the bank's forecasted trading losses in the event of a severe downturn. Meanwhile, Deutsche Bank passed without further question this year. The troubled German lender failed last year's test. That meant that the U.S. arm of the bank, wasn't allowed to make payments to its parent company in Germany without permission from the Fed. Sixteen other major institutions passed this year's tests and according to an RBC Capital Market Analysis, it means that large U.S. listed banks will now be able to make an estimated $118 billion worth of payouts this year. It's the end of an era for Apple. The FT broke the news that Johnny Ive, the designer behind the iPhone maker's aesthetic for the past two decades, will leave Apple at the end of the year. Sir Jonathan told the FT that he would be starting a new venture of his own. Tim Bradshaw is the FT's tech correspondent in London. He has more on Sir Jonathan's departure.
1: I think it's very hard to overstate the influence that he's had on certainly the tech industry and the way that it thinks about product design but really the way we think about products at all i mean the iphone is one of the most profitable and popular consumer products of any kind of of all time obviously that's been a huge success and it's something that apple's still trying to figure out if and how it can ever sort of top that if it is going to figure that out it will be doing it with slightly less input from a man who has provided a very key part of continuity with the steve jobs era after the apple co-founder died in 2011 I think it's also a very interesting point in the Apple sort of news and product cycle for him to be leaving, where it's very much focused on services at the moment. And that's maybe an area where Johnny is less experienced, certainly. I spoke to him this week, and he said that he felt like he'd finished a certain body of work. And a part of that was Apple Park, the new headquarters, which he played a big role in designing and completing. It was something that he and Steve Jobs first started talking about 15 years ago, I have to say I also got a sense from him that he felt like there were maybe other projects and problems that he wanted to solve that maybe went outside the tech industry and that there was a sort of sense that you know, there were still opportunities to be had and he's in his 50s, so he's still got career ahead of him that he can do without Apple. And I, I guess maybe there's a sense that he wants to prove that he can stand on his own two feet. And it's not just about iPhones and the legacy of Steve Jobs, but that Johnny Ive might have a second act. You can hear more
0: from Tim on Sir Jonathan's future plans and what this means for Apple on another one of our podcasts, FT News in Focus. Nike may have found a way to help weather the effects of the U.S.-China trade war and slowing global growth, sell more products directly to its customers. The world's largest sports footwear and athletic company reported higher sales and profit margins in its latest quarter. It sold more items online at full price in North America and in the fast-growing Chinese market. That's instead of relying on third-party brick-and-mortar retailers. But it wasn't enough to fully offset the effect of the stronger dollar, as well as some investments. Investors had been nervously trying to gauge how Nike would be affected by the U.S. and China's ongoing trade dispute. Plus, this week, the company was forced to cancel the sale of a limited-edition shoe in China. This was after its designer supported the recent protests in Hong Kong. During an earnings call on Thursday, Nike's chief executive Mark Parker said the sportswear group will be committed to China, quote, for decades to come. Quarterly revenues from the region jumped 16 percent to $1.17 billion. That's four times faster than the group as a whole. Nike shares are up 12.8 percent for the year. On the eve of the G20 summit in Japan, Russian President Vladimir Putin said that liberalism has outlived its purpose. This was in an exclusive interview with the Financial Times. Speaking with FT editor Lionel Barber and Moscow bureau chief Henry Foy, Mr. Putin trumpeted the rise of national populist movements in Europe and America. He said,
1: The ruling elites have broken away from the people. There is also the so-called liberal idea which has outlived its purpose. Our Western partners have admitted that some elements of the liberal idea, such as multiculturalism, are no longer tenable.
0: You can read the full story and watch the interview at FT.com. And there has been a lot of build-up to the G20 summit. The FT's U.S. managing editor, Peter Spiegel explains what's at stake.
2: As has been the case with many of these summits in the Trump era, the actual summit itself will kind of be the sideline. And what everyone is watching is the bilateral meetings that Trump will be having with his fellow world leaders, particularly with Xi Jinping, the the Chinese president. This has been flagged now for months as the place where Xi and Trump will meet to try to cut a deal on their longstanding trade war. The signals we've gotten thus far are actually not particularly good. There's been a lot of rhetoric on both sides that they are no closer to where they were months ago when we thought they had a deal. So that's what everyone will be watching. Are we going to get close to an end to this trade war that has rocked the Chinese economy in particular, but also global supply chains?
0: And the focus to get a trade deal done might be tough considering the recent comments President Trump made on Fox Business this week.
2: Yeah, I mean, he has been in full lash out mode heading to Japan for the G20. He's not only lashed at the Chinese, he's lashed at the Japanese, he's lashed at the EU, going after allies and foes alike. Now, as we know with Trump, this is frequently tactics. He likes to be belligerent, go push the envelope as far as possible only then to get into negotiations and walk back. So some of this pre-G20 rhetoric is just that. But, you know, look, there is, there's a lot of moving parts that have not been settled. There's these specific issues that have been discussed during the trade talks, but there's now obviously the new issue of Huawei. Basically, the U.S. has led a global push to crush Huawei and to basically kill them as the leading provider of the next generation of mobile equipment. The question is, does that then become part of the negotiations? We've heard Trump suggest that he might be willing to, and then we've heard other U.S. officials say they don't want to. We've heard actually the the CEO of Huawei itself saying he doesn't want to be part of that discussion. So there are so many moving parts that it, there is increasing belief that they will be unable to get a deal done despite what the tactics Trump is doing in, in some of these interviews heading into the summit.
0: And Peter, what else should we be looking out for this weekend?
2: One of the other sort of bilateral or sort of sideline meetings that we'll be watching is obviously that the European leaders are there as well. You know, the heads of the European Commission and the European Council, but also Emmanuel Macron, the Italian Prime Minister, Giuseppe Conti, and days away from a real make or break summit in Brussels where they have to pick the next leadership of the EU institutions. They tried twice before and they failed. So we're expecting that the EU leaders themselves will be meeting to try to lay out a way forward. Who becomes the new head of the European Commission? Who becomes the next head of the European Central Bank? Who becomes the next head of the European Council? All these jobs are up for grabs, and they have been unable to come up with a calculus that takes into account the various political parties, the various regions. You know, the Eastern Europeans want to see, the Baltics want to see, the Norwegians want to see, the Nordics want to want to see. So, trying to figure out a balance that is both regional but also political. You know, so the center right gets what they think they deserve. The center left gets what they want to deserve. That is proven very difficult.
0: You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Amy Keene and me, Mark Filipino. Our intern is Eileen Rodriguez. Our editor is Amelia Mahasik. We had help this week from Gavin Kallman and Michael Bruning.